Welcome to the Bread of Life, a listener-supported program of Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about CPE, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It is another good day to go to the Word of God and there look to Jesus Christ as our only Savior and our complete sufficiency in all things. If you have access to your Bible, get ready to open them up, and before them let us all together say, Lord, we are listening. Speak to us today. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. We all know the great story of the young David coming before Goliath and defeating him with a slingshot. David's statement to Goliath defines his approach to life. In 1 Samuel 17.45, he says, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. David's awareness of the presence of God filled him with deep conviction, deep confidence, and when falling into sin, deep contrition. It is an awareness we all must cultivate because God is present. He came before them in a weakness, evaluating his own strength. But it was this ability to see his weakness that enabled him to see the strength of the presence of God in, among him, that God would work through him and God would be great in him. Paul saw that the sufficiency that he had and the duty that laid before him was not found in himself, but it was found in two things. One was the sufficiency of the duty itself. He saw that the calling that God had given him was so glorious and so wonderful that God would have to work to complete it in him, that God would pour out his glory upon him for the task. David sees the same thing. He sees this as such a great moment, as such a great task that David cannot think any other thought than that God will give him the ability to prevail. The task is too wonderful, it's too glorious, and Paul saw the same thing. Well, we have been called to a glorious ministry as well. We are called to be ministers of a glorious gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8 for a moment. Just as David sees this glorious task before him and has confidence that God will deliver him, Paul will say that he sees the ministry that's before him, and although he knows his weaknesses, and although he knows his inabilities, Paul assesses the great glory that God will give to him and gives to him as he carries out this ministry. In chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verses 6 through 8, he says this, "...who has also made us sufficient as ministers," speaking of God, "...of the new covenant." That's the gospel, that Jesus Christ has come, and that He's died for your sins, and He's risen from the grave, and now He comes and He'll change your life if you'll believe in Him and trust in Him, and He'll make you righteous. He'll cover you with His righteousness, and He'll fill you with His holiness." He says, we are sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He says, listen, the old law that was produced, that we have learned and we have studied from the Old Testament, all it does is slay you of all your confidence that you can save yourself in order that you might come to Christ and believe in Him alone for your salvation. It is a ministry of death, but now we come with another ministry. It's the ministry of the Spirit proclaiming life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, the law was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. What happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? Do you remember? His face was a glow, was a glow. And the, Moses had to cover his face with a veil in order to allow the people to come near him because they were so overwhelmed with the glory of God presented in his life. We read in another passage that that glory ultimately faded away from Moses. He says, if this was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, 
which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You know what he's saying? You've got a task that's more glorious and more wonderful than anything that, that Moses or David were called to. Because you have a, such a great task, God is going to pour His glory upon you. David had confidence because he knew he was called to a great task, but David also knew that this sufficiency was delivered to him by God Himself, and so did Paul. So in verses 4 and 5 of this same passage, if we go back up, Paul states the source of all this confidence. And we have such a trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. You don't need armor on, folks. You don't need all the regalia. You don't need to think of all the strategies and plans. Just a few stones, smooth stones and a sling, and the Word of God, and obedience to Him, and stepping forward in the ministry to proclaim the gospel to your friends and your family members and your neighbors, and whoever God gives you the opportunity, being aware of God, being conscious of God's presence around you. That's all you need. And so Paul says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. That's confidence. Because God is present and I'm conscious of His presence. I am aware that I must live for His glory and that everything around me and every event around me is measured by whether God gets glory or God doesn't get glory. And that's how I interact with it and that's how I engage myself in it. Is God getting glory and how can I bring more glory to God in this situation? When that person says this or does that, is God being glorified and how can I add to God's glory by my reaction in this situation? Conviction. Not only that, I know that I have confidence that I can do that. I can live for His glory because He's here with me as well. And I do it through Him. And then the third thing, it's not stated in this place, but the fact is we fail at times. In this circumstance, we failed to live for God's glory and we fail to live up to our conviction and we fail to avail ourselves of the work of God within us to honor and bring glory to His name and we sin. At those moments and times in David's life, he sinned, you find an expression of deep contrition and brokenness. We know the moments of David's sin, they're recorded, they're not whitewashed at all in the Scripture. Most famous of all is that sin that he had in committing adultery with Bathsheba. His stricken conscience is confronted by a prophet by the name of Nathan. Nathan tells him a parable of a man who had one lamb that he loved, and a rich man came who had a large herds of sheep, and he wanted to offer a great banquet for a friend who was visiting him, and so he took the poor man's lamb and slayed it in order that he might feed that poor man's little lamb to his friend. David says that man's life should be taken away for doing that. I think David's reaction, his immediate reaction is, an expression actually of the consciousness that he had of his own sin. It was almost as if he was trying to make up for his own injustice by striving out to seek justice on behalf of somebody else. But Nathan points out that you're the man who's done this. Nathan even goes on to say that what you've done has caused the enemies of God to hold him in utter contempt. David's the only one who knew, and Bathsheba, and 
Maybe David's general knew something of the matter, but not really. David's the only one who knew. No. God knew Nathan was telling him. And God's enemies knew. God's enemies have held him in contempt because of what you've done. In other words, David, God hasn't received glory from your life. God has been despised by your action. David's confession is found in Psalm 51. The key word in the passage is in verse 4. David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. In other words, David is conscious of God above everything else. Before the circumstances of life, he's conscious of God and God's desire to receive glory in it. Before the challenges of life, he's conscious of God and he's confident that God can aid him. Before the sin in his life, he's conscious above everything else that it was before God. And that's why he's broken. And that's why he weeps. Psalm 51 is the greatest example of a prayer of confession that you'll find in the Bible. It's produced by an individual who was a sinner, but who had a heart for God. He knew that God was there. It was not only a blemish on his character. It wasn't simply against his kingdom or against his family or against Uriah the Hittite, but that his sin was above everything else before God and against God. And so there arose in his heart a longing for forgiveness from God. He didn't justify himself. He didn't say somehow, God, this is just a mistake. Instead, David, in the presence of God, traced his sin back to the core of his being. He says, surely I was born in sin and iniquity. It's me. It's all me. And he repented. The contrition of David is another expression that he was a man with a heart after God. Because when you are passionate for God, when you sense that He is there in your presence, when you know that He is with you and you sense that He is a living, breathing God among you, and He's not simply an idea in your head, but He is one that you commune with and live with, well, then you become conscious all the more of your sins and you confess them. And you're broken not because you didn't measure up to somebody's standard, but because you have disappointed and betrayed the glory that he longs to receive from your life. Well, this is David's life. It's a life of consciousness of the presence of God. It's a life then that bears out this great conviction that seems to be the measure of his life throughout his life. And we don't have time, but you read it. Now, you read his life and you see the great examples of a man who is guided by a sense of conviction of God presiding over everything. And it's a man who has great confidence in what God would give him to do, and a man who experiences great contrition when he fails to obey him. What do we do in response to that? Well, the issue in our life ought to be that we seek his presence. Shouldn't be. That we seek to entertain the presence of God in everything. That we do everything we can to cultivate God's presence, and we flee from everything, every environment, every circumstance, every thought, every activity, that causes our minds to be numb from that presence. And just one last thought here. I've been thinking about it. I mentioned to someone who visited me in my office this week. The Bible talks about how we deal with sin, and we're told that we're to take every thought captive in order that we might be used of God to tear down the strongholds that come against us. Every thought captive. Well, that doesn't mean we just take captive those thoughts that are evil thoughts or those thoughts of temptation that come upon us. It means that we take every thought every part of our life, 
every action, every deed. It means we've got to be thinking people. We've got to be people who can't put our minds on a moment of rest. You know, this is what happens, by the way. When we fall into sin, when we fall into compromise, it's usually because we've decided that we need to take a little mental vacation and holiday, and we stop thinking. But we're to be thinking all the time. We're to be thinking that God is here, and God is present, and I want to glorify Him with every thought and every, with every deed and with every action of my life. We need to build up that kind of mental muscle in our lives in order that God might shape this kind of character in us. Let's practice His presence. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and for the example of these great men. And uh, if we were to go and review them, starting in Abraham and all the way down now to David, we would see that we've been speaking of different expressions of the same facet. A life of immediacy in your presence. A life of uh, overwhelming sense of the, your eminence. You pressed in upon them. You made yourself known to them. They, by faith, accepted that you were there to change them. It made them great heroes of the faith. It delivered them from the proclivities of their sin to be standard bearers of a life of faith. And we thank you for it. May we be like they, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in today to The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism. Our work has taken us over the last 30 years to over 90 different countries, and we're growing in our reach more and more. But we need your help. If you wish to know how you can be a part of this strategic evangelism and discipleship ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until our next time together, may God bless you.